started a new series last week called The Wisdom of Kings. And so we are going to take uh, 10 weeks or so as we look at character studies of different uh, kings of the, the kingdom of Judah, the nation of Israel, and specifically the kingdom of Judah. And we'll unpack that and explain that as we go along. We're dealing with, just to give you a timeline here, we're dealing with a period of time roughly 3,000 years ago. So we go way back in time, you think, well, really, does it, does it have any relevance for today? And we say, yes, it does, because people haven't changed. Human nature hasn't changed. Our needs are still the same. Our, our, our proclivities are still the same. All those things. So we are going to be into that. If you've got a red church Bible with you, you're going to be eventually on page 242. If you're using your own Bible or a smartphone, we're in 1 Samuel 17, but we'll get to that in a little bit. If you were with us last Sunday, uh, you, um, you, or maybe you caught it, if you missed last week, maybe you caught up online. You can always listen to the messages online at bethanychurchfresno.com. Uh, you'll remember we spent some time with King Saul. Uh, Saul was Israel's first king, and he had all the capacity, the gifting, the calling to be an outstanding king for the nation. But he was foolishly stubborn. He was rebellious. His character was rash and impulsive, and all of that caused him to lose the favor of God, and he was not permitted, not allowed to establish a dynasty, as would be expected from a king. In fact, we've got this message from uh, the prophet uh, Samuel, who, who says this to Saul in 1 Samuel 13. He says, How foolish, Samuel exclaimed, you've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his, that is the Lord's own heart. The Lord's own heart. That phrase, a man after his own heart, has definitely worked its way into our common language. Right? If I meet someone who... Uh, enjoys coffee and ice cream as much as I do, I say, well, you've, that's a person after my own heart. We, we relate in that way. And in this case, a man after God's own heart refers to the young man who would come to be known as Israel's greatest and most effective king, most ideal king, the one from whom the, the, line, the line would extend down through Jesus our Savior would come from that king. It's King David. Did you know that there's 56 chapters in the Bible devoted to the life of David? There's 73 psalms. Of the 150 psalms in the Old Testament, at least 73 are credited to David. This guy's prolific in the, in the Bible. And he was just as human as Saul. In fact, his sins in some ways were, you would say, he sinned worse than Saul did. Saul was disobedient to, to God. But David had someone killed and slept with the guy's wife. David was had did some terrible things. We're going to actually talk about that next Sunday. But yet, David was a man with a heart after God. We're going to have to try to figure out what that means. David was the youngest son of a man named Jesse. Now, David had seven older brothers. And as a young man, he was given the least desirable of the family chores. He got to tend the sheep. Little David got to take care of the sheep. And in our culture, the youngest, rightfully so, is usually the spoiled one. Because, of course, I'm the youngest of four. In that culture... The oldest was the spoiled one. And the youngest was like, 
Oh, wait, there's another one? That's sort of David. In fact, that's kind of how his anointing happened. Um, and uh, David, by the way, is was a great grandson to a couple named Ruth and Boaz. And if you were with us last year, last Christmas, we talked through the life of Ruth. Well, this is Ruth's great-grandson. Um, so that's just to help you kind of make some context there. Now, God had sent the prophet Samuel to Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, to anoint one of Jesse's sons to replace King Saul. Now, Jesse brought out his seven sons, and Saul's pretty. Imp- I mean, Samuel's pretty impressed with these these boys. And uh, he looks at the first one and says, "Well, obviously, this is going to be the next king." And this is what God spoke to Samuel in chapter sixteen, verse seven. He says, "Let's go to that next one." The Lord said to Samuel, "Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks where." heart. That's where the Lord looks. The Lord looks at the heart. Now, it just so happens that David description of him is that he was handsome and he, you know, he was good looking and all those things, but that's not what God was judging him on. And so uh, Samuel meets all of the boys, all of the boys. And he says, is this it? Cause none of them are the next king. Oh yeah, there's, there's David. He's, he's out with the sheep out in the field, little David. We'll go get him. David comes, and God says, this is the one. And Samuel anoints him to be the king. He was God's choice. Sometimes some of you feel like you are kind of forgotten. You're on the sidelines. Nobody thinks much of you. You don't feel like you have much to offer anymore. You know what? God's watching. God knows. You have a calling and a purpose, and God has not forgotten about you. He has a calling on your life. Now, it was the right choice. Psalm chapter um, 78 summarizes David's leadership in verses 70 to 72. Let's look at this one. The Lord chose his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. He took David from tending the ewes and lambs and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. He cared for them. This is a great line. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. Oh, that's a great description, isn't it? Of a leader. A true heart and skillful hands. So we're going to explore what it means to have a true heart. A heart after God and why that matters for us. Because the heart as a, as a symbol of devotion, of course, is deeply embedded into our language and our culture. You know that. For example, let's, you're going to love this picture. My wife is too. Um, Becky and I have been married for 26 and a half years. Usually I ask your permission before I do this, but I thought you might say no. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, look at us. Just enjoy that for a moment. Hair, I had hair. It's incredible, right? She has my heart. Always has. When you work hard at something, you say, you, you put your heart into it, right? You, um, if your friend loses a loved one, what do you do? You send heartfelt condolences. If you've ever been a tourist in New York, maybe you bought a t-shirt with this slogan that was crafted in 1977, I heart New York. And it's been extrapolated into all other kinds of things. That's, we, we just, we understand that that's a symbol of devotion. 
But there's a phrase that's really common right now, and people love this phrase, and it looks great on posters and Facebook memes, and, and I know it's intended by it, but the phrase is this, well, just follow your heart. Oh, just follow your heart. I, I, someone recently, in fact, from, from our church, told me that the, the translation of their last name, it kind of comes from another language, it means follow your heart. And I thought, oh no, I'm going to be talking about this this week. Um, that's terrible advice. It's not good advice. Follow your heart. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, you can, you can write this down and you're, I've got an outline for you in your program and it's this, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart unless, there's a caveat in here, unless your heart is following God. Unless your heart's following God. See, the unredeemed heart, the heart without Jesus as Lord, is not a trustworthy organ. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, says this. Some of you know this verse. You've heard this one before, some of you. Um, let's go to the next screen. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. You know how you can justify sometimes things you shouldn't do and you find a way to justify it? The heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You came here this morning for good news, and I put that on the screen. If I followed my heart, I promise you there would be some Sundays I would be sleeping in or going for a hike in Kings Canyon instead of standing here with you. There are some days that my heart says, I, I don't want to go. Right? If I had followed my heart in times of weakness, I might have cheated on my taxes. I might have... I might have been terribly unkind, and I, I have been. I might have cheated on my wife if I'd followed my heart in those times of weakness. The heart is not a good leader, but it can be a great follower. And the good news, now here's the, here's the good news, that God, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the New Testament promises us that God makes you new from the inside out. But even in the Old Testament, this, God spoke to the same people. He, he said, hey, the heart is desperately wicked. He also said this, Ezekiel chapter 36, um, it says it this way. I'll give you, God speaking, I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So if you've given your heart to Jesus, he has replaced it with a new heart. You don't have to be stuck on the Jeremiah 17 passage of a desperately wicked heart. God's given you a new heart. So don't follow your heart. Tell your heart where to go. Your heart will follow what you choose to desire. Let me say that again. Your heart's going to follow what you choose to desire. Now, I, I know you, you might think, well, I'm not trying to be some spiritual giant like King David. I, that's not for me. That's too much pressure. And I don't really need a heart after God. I'm just going to mind my own business, stay under the radar, you know, do my work and blah, blah, blah. Like, just leave me out of it, Brian. Okay, I get that. I understand why you'd want to say that. Because, you know, why would you even want a heart after God? Sounds like a lot of pressure. Well, it's because your heart will take you to what you desire. Your heart's going to take you to what you desire. And if you desire God, 
If you say heart, that's where we're going. Your heart will take you there. If you desire wealth, that's what you're going to be chasing. If you desire pleasure, that's what your heart's going to pursue. If you, if you desire escape, you're going to, your heart's going to lead you to, to habits that are going to waste your life. But if you recognize, if you recognize that, hey, God has good plans and purposes for my life, then you're going to place your desire there and you're going to say, heart, let's go there. Your heart after God can do that. So you tell your heart where to go. That's what David was doing. He had a heart after God. Okay, so now I want to get to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we are going to look at what may be a very familiar story to you. Chapter 17, I think, is really the introduction, kind of sets the stage of just who David is. This is the... This is the portrait. This is sort of the painting, the ideal portrait of who David is. It's the, it's the account of David meeting a giant named Goliath. David, you know, as we go through the story, imagine David is, is a young lad, maybe 16 or 17. He's, let's say, my height, five foot eight. Goliath is around nine feet tall. There's a big difference between these guys, and, and we're going to learn about this. Um, chronologically, I believe chapter, part of chapter 16 comes after chapter 17. You don't need to write any of this down. This is not really that important because chapter 16 talks, introduces David entering the service of King Saul, but really 17 is telling us, hey, here's the young man, David, and we're going to learn about him. It's also a, a story of classic themes. You, without a doubt, have seen in the news, you know, they'll say, this David and Goliath struggle between some, you know, Walmart and a mom and pop shop or whatever. You know, like the big company and the little guy and the little guy wins the court case. And, that, you know, wouldn't that be nice if that was the way it actually happened? But um, we get this. So it's in our vernacular. There's um, it's got some common themes in other literature. You know, if David wins, he's going to get the girl. That's pretty good. That's a nice theme to it. Uh, you know, we love the idea of the underdog beating, the, you know, the big giant, all those themes. But this is an actual episode, an actual account that gives us the introduction to David. So I'm going to do my best to read and summarize a long chapter, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Uh, let's begin here. Verse 1, it says, the Philistines, okay, the ongoing, perpetual, troublesome uh, ocean kind of living along the coast, kind of coastal people, the Philistines, who just a perpetual problem for the Israelites. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sokad in Judah and Azekah at Ephestamim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. So imagine something a bit like if you go up to Kings Canyon, you know, when you just start coming out of the valley, there's that there's that uh, citrus orchard. Think about that kind of valley. You're going up the one hill and you look across and there's that other. There's something about like that. That's kind of a visual for you. Okay. Then Goliath, 
a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, and his armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. So bronze, when it's all polished up, is super shiny. And it's all this kind of intimidation factor. It's just the sun's reflecting off. It's like, whoa, who's that massive guy stepping out on the battlefield? And it was not uncommon for them for battle situations to say, hey, you choose a guy and you choose a guy and we'll have some one-on-one combat and maybe we can avoid like lots of bloodshed, lots of slaughter. Goliath, verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then uh, we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Some of you younger folks who grew up watching VeggieTales, you're thinking about David and the giant pickle. Who will fight me? Right? That was that was in your head as we were doing that. Because that's what was in my head. Okay, so now we're going to meet David. Verse 12. Now, David was a son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem, the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time. He had eight sons. And uh, explains that Jesse's three oldest sons uh, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. He was the youngest. His brother stayed with Saul. And he was taking care of the sheep. Verse 16, 40 days go by every morning and evening. Goliath is doing his thing. Verse 17, one day Jesse says to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David goes, he sets out early. He, he, He takes them a while, but he finds them. And uh, as verse 23, as he's, he finds his brothers, verse 23, as he's talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion, came out from the Philistine ranks, and David heard what, what Goliath would say. Verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The man asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. What would you do to be tax exempt? (laughs) Right? He's like, oh, this is sounding pretty good. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine? And so they, they tell him. But here's his line. What will a man get for killing his Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. He tells about the reward. Um, Then David's brothers are like, what are you doing here? You dumb kid, go home. You don't belong here. You shouldn't even be here. So they're really hard on him. And, and David kind of defends himself. And David's asking questions. And the report gets to the king that this kid is here. And he's asking questions. Verse 32. David goes to the king. He says, don't worry about the Philistine, David told him. I'll fight him. You're, you're King Saul, 
Remember, you're tall. You're head and shoulders above everybody else. And this 17-year-old kid says, I'll take him. Right away, of course, Saul's thinking, does our insurance cover this? Right? I don't think I have enough liability coverage for this. So don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. So the story's not really getting better for Saul, <laughs> right? When a lion, but now it does, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. Oh, I love David so much. He's just so metal. And I rescue the lamb from his mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And so Saul consented. All right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. And Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. And David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. Verse 40, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them in his shepherd's bag, and then armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Okay. Here we go. Verse 41. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. Did you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David replied to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds. Okay, there's a lot of trash talking going on here. Right? But it's really good. And uh, and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. And as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling. And I think it's more like this. And he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone for he had no sword. And David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, used it to kill him and cut off his head. Okay, we'll stop there. I mean, give David a hand. This is incredible, right? This is, I mean, what God has done through him. Yeah, yeah, do it. So David's going to help us us answer the question, what is a heart after God? If you're taking notes today, you can write this one down. What is a heart after God? To, to simply believe that God exists, right? That's not a heart after God. To, to attend a church service, that's not a heart after God. To be a nice person, to look religious, uh, that's not a heart after God. God, a heart after God simply wants what God wants. 
loves what God loves. God loves people. God wants all people to be saved. God wants you to experience mercy and grace. And that's what a heart of God pursues. Now, without meaning to, David shows us how this heart behaves. We already talked about why you would want to have your heart after God, because if your heart's not after God, it's going to be after something else, and it never will end well. So David's going to show us how this heart behaves. We can't fake a heart after God. You can't fake it. What's inside of you is what spills out of you. So I want us to consider these qualities from David. First, five things. First, David was faithful in all circumstances. He's the little brother. He's out there tending sheep, but he's doing it well. He's learning it well, and he turns out to be a better warrior, really, a better soldier than his older brothers. Dad sends him on an errand. No problem. He does it. It's risky. It's lonely. He goes anyway. When the sheep are in danger, he doesn't run away. He, he, he chases down the bears and the lions and uh, rescues the sheep. So even if when his task is hard and scary, he sticks to it. He's faithful in all circumstances. That's what a heart after, that's how a heart after God behaves. A heart after God says, look, I'll do what I'm asked until God gives me another assignment. I'll keep my promises. I'll be faithful until God directs me to something else. So it's faithful in our circumstance. Secondly, a heart after God has a passion for God's reputation. See, when David heard the taunts of Goliath, he was immediately upset. Uh, you see verse 26, as David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? It really wasn't about the reward. What motivated him was, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Wow. It's, it is a good reward. We talked about that already. Not a bad deal. Tax exemption and the king's daughter. But a heart after God loves the truth and loves the reputation of God and seeks to Defend that. God doesn't need to be defended, but a heart stands up for God's reputation. Third thing is that the heart after God is dependent on God for rescue. Verse 37, right? The Lord rescued me, who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. There's no question in his mind how this is going to go down. He knows He's going to be rescued because he has a dependency on God for that. And I would say in your situation right now, today you're in a, you, you may be in a crisis of some kind. You're in a, a financial situation. You've got a health issue. You've got a parenting challenge. You've got a relationship breakdown. You've got an employment need. You've got a, you know, a tough problem in the workplace. And I want you to know that you can count on God for rescue. Usually it's at the 11th hour. It's not like Goliath just dropped dead of a heart attack. David still had to run at him, take care of business. But depend on God for rescue. Fourth, David demonstrates that this heart is honest about who we are. A heart after God is honest about who we are. It's about authenticity. Now, sometimes authenticity is an excuse for being lazy or not making any effort in your life. Well, I'm just being who I am. We've talked about that before. 
I'm talking about this sense of being true to the gifts, the skills, the calling that God has on you, the way God's invited you to follow him. And David's authentic about that. You see that in verses 38 and 39. He's like, look, I can't wear this armor. I'm not used to it. It's not fit for me. I've never used this before. This would be a bad time to try a completely different strategy and, and try to be you, Saul. I gotta be me. And so that's what he does. Picks up his five smooth stones and heads off to the battlefield. You don't need to be someone else to be used by God. You don't, you don't need to be someone else to be used by God. And, and, and so often we're trying to like, well, if I was more like so-and-so, if I was less like this and more like that, listen, you've got to be who God's called you to be. That's what a heart after God does. Fifthly, David shows us that a heart after God faces challenges aggressively. I wrestled with whether that's a good word for this, but I think it demonstrates a, a, a truth in here. My favorite moment in this whole episode is that verse 48. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David runs into the battle. He's grabbing his, he's grabbing his stone. You can just imagine. He's running, right? I'll do this in slow motion. He's running. He's grabbing the stone out of his bag. He's loading it in a sling. He starts winging it. I mean, he's into it. Like, no reserve, no hold back, no hesitation. Just, I'm taking this guy down. I love this about David. He ran his challenge aggressively. Now, yes, he took advantage of his smaller size. He can move more quickly. He's more agile. You know, Goliath's a big guy. There's, uh, Malcolm Gladwell did a big piece about some of um, potentially Goliath's shortcomings. I'm not sure that that's really accurate, but the idea is that Goliath is big. He's got a lot of weight on him. Got that nail. He's got the big, and David can just move quick and fast and get in there in, in no problem. Now you might think, yeah, but a sling, I mean, surely a sling, I mean, sling and a stone. Um, they say that a, a sling, um, the, the velocity of a stone leaving a sling is roughly equivalent to that of a, of a bullet from a, from a handgun. I'm a 45. It's unbelievable. And you think, yeah, but how accurate could that be? There's a description of stone slingers uh, found in, in Judges uh, chapter 20. There's a situation. It's the end of the book of Judges. It's a terrible time. And a huge, they're assembling for a huge battle. And the, the tribe of Benjamin, turns out they've developed this stone slinging ability. And, and it says that among, Judges 20 verse 16 says, among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target within a hair's breadth without missing. So he could pick a stone. My friend Henry's up there on the sound booth. Right between the eyes, no problem. Left-handed. Right? Henry, you're safe. You're safe with me. Uh, It's pretty cool. So he did have skill, but he runs at this, this challenge aggressively. His heart after God equipped him for it. And listen, we're all going to face challenges. If you haven't already, you will. You might be facing something right now. And you need a heart that is faithful and that's passionate and that's dependent on God and that's honest and that's bold. Because you need to face these challenges not It's not courage in place of fear. It's courage in the midst of fear. 
You think David wasn't afraid? I, I think he had to have been like, that guy's big. No problem. God's got this. But this guy's big. Right? Now, don't forget, in part, again, one more thing I want to unpack before I let you go today, that David's success came in part because he, he had prepared for this time in the pastures. He defended those sheep. He spent the hours practicing his slinging skills. Turns out he wrote poetry. We know that from the book of Psalms. It's a reminder that right now, whatever you're doing in your life, wherever God has you right now, you're preparing for what's next. We could write it this way. You're preparing now for your Goliath. You're preparing now for your Goliath, even if you don't realize that it's happening. David I doubt that he ever would have guessed he'd face this nine-foot-tall giant. There's no scheduled battle. He didn't have weeks to prepare. Nothing was on the calendar. He he just... He didn't even go to the battle. You know what he went to the battlefield with? Did you catch that? A basket of cheese. Hey, I'm ready. Anybody bring the grapes? I got the cheese. A little wine, right? David is not ready, not coming for battle. He's got a basket of cheese. But he's ready. He's ready. Because everything to that point had prepared him for this moment. It's a throwaway task. Shepherding. Discarded. Little David can do it. But he's faithful in it. And God's preparing him, preparing him. 29 years ago, um, after a couple of years in Bible college, I had a decision to make. I had uh, four acceptance letters at four different schools uh, I could have attended. And should I go for a teaching degree or should I stay with what I thought God was had spoken to me, what I believe God had spoken to me to prepare for the mission field? And so... That's what I chose to do when I entered radio broadcast training. Turns out I wasn't very good at it. I didn't even last through the whole program. And uh, there was a lot of second guessing at that time. Like, God, did I hear you wrong? Did I miss it? Did, 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 I, did I take a wrong turn? Was I? What happened in that moment? And yet, the things I learned there have been invaluable for the rest of my life, especially for the things I do today, so much of what I learned there is what I apply today. I did my best with the task at hand, and though it didn't lead to what I thought it was going to lead to, it led to the next thing, and that led to the next thing, and that led to the next thing, and so on. Listen, whatever you're doing now is pre- preparation for what God's going to have you do next. God's grace is at work in your life. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, like we talked in the beginning, he's inviting you to do so. Be faithful to Jesus. Honor your commitments. Keep your promises. You might feel like what you're doing right now is irrelevant. It's not that important. It's a sideline. It's not what you train for. It's not what you plan to do. I understand. Be faithful to what God's got you in right now. Because it's the equivalent of David with his sheep. God's preparing you for what he has next. So you students, students in the room, study with excellence. Stay on it. But have a heart for God. 
Because you don't know how God's going to use your preparation time now in the future. Grandparents, oh, love your grandkids. Just give it all you got. But show them what a heart after God looks like. Right? Moms, moms, oh, my heart goes out to you. You're tired. You just want some sleep. But you got this because your kids are learning from you more than anyone else what a heart after God can look like. Dads, dads, love your kids, mom, passionately because your kids are learning from you what the heart of the Heavenly Father is like and how the Heavenly Father loves His children. Employers, and it's way harder than it should be in this state, isn't it? It is way harder than it ought to be. But follow David's example of a heart that's, that's passionate, that's authentic, that's bold and courageous. Employees, you're working for the Lord even though it's your boss that signs your paycheck. So keep working for the Lord. Show, show your employer what a, that a heart after God is is inside of someone who's worth promoting. Uh, we could go on, of course, but I want you to know that you're always in a season of preparation for whatever God would have next, for your next Goliath. So be faithful now. Be faithful now, and you'll be ready when the time comes. Don't follow your heart to the places it wants to go. It, 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 it may well mislead you. Tell your heart where you're going. Tell your heart what you desire. Your heart will go toward the things you value. Choose to love what God loves. Invest in the things that God values, which is people, the gospel, salvation. Where your treasure is, that's where you're going to find your heart. Let's have a heart after God. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you recorded this episode for us. It's just a just a, such a wild story. And, you know, we would just, we'd love to be able to peer back in time and see it ourselves, but, but there's so much here for us. And Lord, each of us is who you've made us to be. None of us is David, but, but there's all these principles that we want to apply. God, would you stir in us, each one of us by your Holy Spirit, stir in me a desire for the things that you desire, a love for the things that you love. So that my heart could could be a heart after your heart. And Lord, for those places where we're resistant, where we, we just want to do our own thing because it's just easier and it's more comfortable, I just ask that you would you would awaken us uh, to what it means to have a heart after God. And, and, and Lord, forgive us for those times we've let our heart chase after things that are meaningless or worse, destructive. And instead, God, give us a heart that would follow after you. We thank you for the examples of this. And Lord, we just thank you for what you have for us today. We, we just pray that as we meet our neighbors over at the park, that we'll just, we'll just do a great job at loving the people around us and representing you well. We thank you for your, your great faithfulness to us. In your name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.